0: Uh, This is where we uh, left off. We will make our way down through. We we, uh, read down through verse 15 Uh, last Sunday. We uh, we didn't quite get through that, but our goal today will be to finish up in verse 15 and then take a break. Uh, We'll not be having Bible study hour through the month of August while we're over at the school just to give us time to uh, kind of get established there. And then after Labor Day weekend, we'll be picking up. Uh, all three of our adult studies will be available. Um, I'll be teaching, as well as uh, Tim Ryan and David Kemp, uh, at the same time, and so uh, look forward to getting back together there and picking up this study in uh, chapter three, verse sixteen. Uh, let me just uh, read for us again this passage, and then we'll uh, we'll kind of catch up where we uh, where we left off last time. Uh, Ecclesiastes three one. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men which, with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, for it is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it, for God has so worked that men should fear him. That which is has been already and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. Uh, we mentioned last week that here in chapter three Solomon uh, sort of a turn, takes a turn uh, up into chapter uh, up until chapter two verse twenty-three. God is only mentioned one time, but he is referred to uh, eight times in chapter three alone. And we just uh, began to talk about this issue of Solomon bringing up the sovereignty and the providence. Uh, Of God, Uh, and we tried to just discuss what that is uh, before we even jumped into verse one. What what is the sovereignty of God? And we simply said that that the sovereign that the sovereignty of God simply means that God is God is in control of uh, all things, Uh, not simply that He is stronger than everyone else, although that is certainly true, uh, but that He is ruling and that He has authority that transcends space and time, and that there is nothing outside of God's jurisdiction. Uh, there's nothing outside of His direction. There's nothing outside of His influence. Uh, we looked at a number of Old Testament passages to, to make that point. Uh, some we didn't even have t- uh, time to, to go to. For instance, Psalm 33 uh, tells us in verse 6 that God governs all of creation Says there, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he who spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Verse 10 tells us he, he governs all of history, all of providence. The Lord, he says, nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Psalm 47, verse 7, For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. Psalm 103, verse 19, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens. And His sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength, who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, you who serve Him, doing His will. Bless the Lord, all you works of His in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, Isaiah 46, verse 8. Remember this and be assured, recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all of my good pleasure. Uh, in the New Testament, we, uh, we mention passages such as Ephesians 1, 111, a statement uh, about the overall work of God in governing everything by his sovereign will, Paul writes in ephesians one eleven in him we have obtained an, inher- an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. so you have these these sort of four uh, key terms: predestined purpose counsel will there 's just, just just no way around these These uh, statements, very clear, uh, comprehensive, all-inclusive statements of Scripture. Paul Paul essentially says there there was an inter, if you will, inter-Trinitarian deliberation that preceded the very creation of the universe. There were divine desires and there were uh, divine decisions and there was God's divine determination to carry out His righteous will. So what Paul says here is that God is very determined. He is very resolved. He he has inflexible determination to fulfill His will, or we might say His plan A, because there is is no plan B. God is fulfilling His will, His plan A. We also had to mention, of course, Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to God. To his purpose, so God is in control of all things, and we have numerous examples in Scripture. We have uh, examples of God being in control of the rolling of dice, um, even the slaughter of His own people, the the failing of a person's eyesight, the sickness of children, the loss and gain of money, the suffering of saints, the completion of travel plans, the persecution of Christians, the repentance of souls. The gift of faith, the pursuit of holiness, the growth of believers, the giving of life, and the taking in death. And even Acts 4, 27, 28 tells us even the crucifixion of his son. God is sovereign over all things. And if you bring that down to a personal level, He is in, He is He is sovereign over your DNA. He is sovereign over your gender, your race, your birth, your parents, if and who you will marry, neighbors, your first grade teacher. Um, those who influence you throughout your life uh, and even your eternal salvation or if and when you would come to faith in Christ. Ephesians 1.4, Paul says, Just as He, the Father, chose, uh, which since He ch- chose us by Himself for Himself, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. All of these things are under God's control. This is what, this is what the Bible teaches, that everything is governed by God. God has already fixed and determined the outcome. He has purposed things. He has declared things. Uh, And no one can thwart that or reverse his decision. Uh, God has appointed every event, yet, as we said, without sin, without touching, causing, or being stained by sin. He does everything that he does just in the right time, uh, and he does it down to the smallest detail. Uh, R.C. Sproul said this, (laughs) there are no maverick molecules in the universe. No maverick molecules in the universe. The universe. So, God is not passively uh, sitting on his throne, disconnected from what's going on in the world. Um, the devil is not in charge. Um, Satan does not reign. Uh, he is real, and he is terrible, but he is on a leash. Uh, leaders in Washington are not in charge. Uh, they, are, they do not reign as the Lord reigns. Circumstances are not reigning. Fate is not reigning. Chance and luck and randomness are not reigning. It is the Lord who is actively reigning. Uh, it's, it's not that he did reign or, or that he will reign in the future, but he is right now reigning. General. Reigning every moment of every day. Yes. General Providence. What's that? General Providence. What about it? Yeah, everything. I mean, small and and, and, and little. I mean, it's uh, yeah. If even the little things escape his control, then we're uh, we're in, we're in trouble. Um, and and we said this is a this bothers people. This is a bothersome topic. We we described it as that drawer in your house that you put all that stuff that you don't want anybody else to, to know that you have in your kitchen or uh, in some room where you. you it's just it's a topic that people won't, don't want to discuss. Uh, But it's a topic that reminds us of our finiteness. It's a topic that drives us to, as we'll see in a minute, fear the Lord. Um, So all all things. um, And, yeah, there'll be different manifestations of that. I mean, when we talk about a future reign, uh, an earthly reign, a millennial reign, or we look back and we talk about ways in which God has manifested that reign, all those things are true. It's just there's never been a moment in which God did not reign. So he, he, is, he is reigning every moment of every day of your life over nations, over nature, events, circumstances, good people, bad people, human minds, human hearts. God even uh, inclines the heart towards certain things. We see this in Scripture. Uh, he, he, he turns the heart. He inclines the heart. Of man, Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Uh, here's just some di- various uh, qu- quotes I found this week. Abraham Kuyper says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. It all belongs to Christ. Charles Spurgeon, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules their afflictions, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. Uh, Arthur Pink says this, quote, God always does as he pleases, when he pleases, where he pleases, with whom he pleases. John Calvin, all the universe is but a theater to display the glory of God. And in saying that, what he meant was that God is the one who created the stage. God is the one that, that uh, scripted the plot, and he is the one who directs the participants. All the universe is but a theater to display his glory. So God is the almighty creator. He is the pleased observer. Uh, we said he is the displeased judge uh, now that sin has entered uh, the world. Uh, he is the one that sets the parameters and the guidelines uh, he is working out his inexplicable plan or his will a plan that embraces every person in all actions and in all times of life now that sort of sets up what he's getting into this 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 is the this is the uh the idea this is the the, the theme um that he really is, is uh, beginning to launch into here in the first part of chapter 3. We, we mentioned this is a, a poem that is very familiar but, but often misunderstood. Uh, Solomon says there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event uh, under heaven. There is a time for the word event can be translated activity. Uh, it could be, in some places, is translated as pleasure or delight. So every event, every activity, every delight, every pleasure, uh, God has uh, ordained a, a time for those things. And in verses 2 down through verse 8, uh, Solomon mentions these 14 pairs of opposites and uses this word time for time uh, 28 times to press home the point of God's sovereignty and providence as well as our, our accountability. So he describes what God has deliberately planned for, for each of us. For all the affairs of life, he says, God has set a time and the length of time, the season for everything, and he has set the particular events along that time band where every event is established and ordained in the providence of God. So what are some of those events in our lives that the plan of God encompasses? And we walk through these first eight verses. Verse two, a time to give birth and a time to die are the day of our being born and the day of our death, our birthday and our funeral. Then there is a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. There is a a time to kill and a time uh, to heal. There's a time to sew up or heal a wound. There's a time to inflict a wound. Solomon goes on. There's a time to tear down, a time to, to build up. And then connected with those examples in verses two and three are the sorrows and the joys that accompany those different events. There is a time, verse four, a time to weep and a time to laugh. There is a a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to lament uh, is, is, the, is the term, or a time to, it means to skip about, a time to, to leap or to skip about. Verse five, there is a time to throw stones, a time to gather stones. There is a at a time when we cast away and discard uh, what we deem to be uh, useless stones, but on other occasions those very same stones may be uh, earnestly sought out as valuable building materials. We also threw out the idea of um, that in the Old Testament there are, are times in which it talks about uh, when, when in preparing to plow or to plant People would have to uproot and cast out stones out of their field. They have to clear their fields of the rocks and the stones in order to plant. And then if you wanted to hurt your enemy or punish your enemy, you would fill their field with rocks and stones. Uh, so that's, uh, some people think that that's, that's sort of the idea of what's going on here, and there's examples of that in passages such as Second Kings chapter 3. It says there is a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, to, a time to clasp something or someone and there's a time to not do that. There's a time to, to embrace the familiar. There's a time to seek new things. Verse 6, there is a time to search and a time to give up as lost. There is a time to keep and a time to throw away, to preserve, a time to guard and preserve things. And there's times that we have abandoned those things. And we mentioned that's our, that's our biblical justification for garage sales and yard sales. And by the way, I think there's a bunch of stuff out on the sidewalk as you come in the back. I've heard, I haven't really looked back there, but I think those are just, if you want it, take it kind of items. <laughs> so as you leave today, you might want to go out the back and see what's against the wall there. Um, uh, there's a time, he says in verse 7, uh, a uh, time to tear apart, a time to sew together. Um, maybe the idea of the, of a time to, to rip uh, a person's garment in display of grief. And then there's a time to sew that very same garment back together when the problem has has passed by, a time to be silent and a time to speak. There are times when it's best not to say a word. There are other times when it's best to, to cry out. Uh, there is, verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate. Um, in God's providence, uh, we looked at an example from Psalm in Psalm 105 that described a time when uh, during Israel's history, actually when they were in, um, in the land of Egypt before their deliverance, where it said that God... Uh, the psalmist is describing that period of time before before the, the, when Moses came, uh, uh, led the people out, uh, and God brought those plagues upon the Egyptians. It says there was this moment when God turned the, the hearts of the Egyptians to hate his people and to deal craftily with his servants. So God was doing that. God was behind that, turning the hearts of the Egyptians against his people. Why? To bring about this, this deliverance. It's all in God's, God's providence. Uh, he, he wraps things up here with there's a time for war and a time for peace. And, and we just said all, all these positive, all these negative activities of life would have certainly been experienced by Solomon himself. I mean, you can go down this list, and you can, if, you, if you're familiar with Solomon's life and, and what King's describes of his life, you can see these things going on. These are, these are events that Solomon both experienced uh, and they're not just events that he experienced, but they're seasons that he experienced. There were times and periods of his life when he experienced these these things. And the same is true of us. We, could, we can identify with with, with most, most of these things. Uh, so God is the, God the creator is God the controller. Uh, now where where is all this headed? Well, he says in verse nine, what profit is there to the worker from that which uh, that in which he toils? In other words, what's what's the takeaway, or what's you must say, what is the profit? What is the leftover? <laughs> because you've got basically a long list of opposites here. You've got 14 positive things, you've got 14 negative things, and it seems as if they sort of cancel each other out. Um, and 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 life, uh, it, it seems like a pretty miserable cycle, um, and it is if you're leaving God out. Right. I mean, if you, if you were leaving God out of the picture, this is a pretty dismal uh, experience, pretty dismal uh, description. And, I mean, let's just be honest. Life on planet Earth without God is the pits. Okay? Uh, there is, someone said there is no hell on Earth like horizontal living without God. Uh, because uh, I think it was uh, at our counseling conference, Steve Byers made the comment one time. He said, listen, he said, if you're a believer, he said, this is as bad as it gets. If you're an unbeliever, this is as good as it gets. I mean, what, what unbelievers are dealing with and all the trials and the, and the difficulties of life, this is as good as it gets for them uh, in light of eternity. For us, this is, this is as bad as it gets. I mean, we have everything to look forward to. So there is no hell on earth like horizontal living apart from, from God. But with God, we gain a new perspective, right? Life changes. It changes from... Boredom and emptiness and profitlessness and purposelessness to meaning and direction and definition and hope and encouragement. And if God has a time for everything, he also has certain unchanging principles that we need to take into account in in everything that we experience in life. And so next, Solomon draws out several principles for, for us to live by. He says in verse 10, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to, to the end. So he gives us several, I think, helpful principles in light of, of what he says here in these, these first eight verses Uh, One is simply this, that God makes everything meaningful. God makes everything meaningful. God has made all the events and all the relationships in life, and if you have a King James Version or if you have the English Standard Version, what is the word he uses? He makes all things what? Everything is what? Beautiful, okay? Okay. uh, so every every activity, every event for which a, a, a culmination point may be fixed, all of these things, all these activities, all these events, all these pleasures in life, God has made them uh, beautiful, as it says there. It's it's uh, in the NAS. It's 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 the term is appropriate. Uh, it can be translated fair or even uh, handsome, or in some cases even sleek. Uh, it's actually a word that's first used back in Genesis of Abraham describing his wife, and he says, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. <laughs> you are lovely. You are fair. So it, it can have this idea of beauty, but it also, I think, and this is where the New American Standard goes, is it has the, this idea of it's, it's appropriate. It's, it's in its place. It's, it's fitting, we might say. So Solomon is simply s- stating that every activity possesses its relative worth and suitability or its place in God's grand providential design. So we, we, and notice it says in its time. So it's just simply saying that when things are unfolding from our perspective in life, we don't always see that, do we? We don't always see the how something is fitting or the appropriateness of what is going on in our lives, right? But in its time... It, it, it bears itself out, right? I mean, in its time, it reveals. What is revealed in time is just how fitting every event and activity in detail end up being. And most of the time in our lives, we see that in hindsight, right? I mean, that's the thing about providence. Providence isn't something that we look, we're trying to figure out what God is providentially doing today. In fact, that's what confuses a lot of Christians is that they're trying to make decisions in their life based on providence. They're trying to look for signs and they're trying to look for the hand of God at work in their activities of life. That's a terrible way to make decisions. We acknowledge providence. We thank God for it. um, But it's something that we tend to look back on, right? And we see how over time God used all those details to bring about his perfect plan for us, right? All things for God's glory, all things for our good. And even in a universe that has been cursed, activity doesn't need to be meaningless. In fact, its futility has more to do with our fickle satisfaction, right? It has more to do with our fickle satisfaction and our failure to trust in the wisdom of a sovereign God. Um, But God says everything. Everything has meaning. From his vantage point, all the things that God is doing in our lives are meaningful things. God does not waste these things. Solomon also points out the fact that God makes everybody curious. God makes everybody curious. He says here that he has also set eternity in their heart, meaning that he has given us, he has given man the capacity to see beyond today. He's given us a capacity to see and think about and meditate on what's coming. Uh, he has given us, we might say, a curiosity about the future. He's giving us the curiosity about what is beyond this. We see the life, our lives unfold. We think about the patterns that we see. We look back on the past. We see the cycles. We are trying to predict and figure out what's coming ahead. But then we have anomalies. We have things that we we think we have it all figured out. And then all of a sudden it doesn't play out like we thought it would play out. Uh, We have this curiosity of what's coming What's coming? Daniel Estes says this, quote, Humans are bound by time, but they are wired for eternity. We're bound by time, by time but wired for eternity, which is not true of animals, right? Uh, no animal is restless uh, and dissatisfied if you, if you meet its physical needs. Uh, you, all you have to do is observe a well-fed dog, right? You feed the dog. The dog is sleeping in front of a fan, all right? Like my dog in the, in the garage on a warm summer day, with his family, enjoying himself, not worried about anything. I mean, as long as he is sitting and nobody's bothering him and he has food in his stomach, there's no restlessness there. But if you put a man in that position, I hope this is true. I say this. I'm trying to think. i got some men in my mind. I might have to make an exception here. If you put a man in that position, he will soon feel a sense of restlessness. It's not enough, although I do know a couple of guys that I wonder, you know, (laughs) what's going on right? But most people, okay, I mean, just feeding them three meals a day and just making them comfortable, that's not enough. We're, we're, we're not wired for that. We're not, we're not designed that way. We're designed to think about what's coming and to plan for those things and to try to, to figure these things out. Why? Because God has made us with a desire and an ability to research and to observe and to contemplate God's creation in our own existence. To reason with self-awareness, as we've talked about, to think about what we're thinking about, to think about where we came from, to think about why we're here, and to think about what's, what's coming in the future. God has implanted in the hearts of men and women a desire to know how the world and all of the details of our lives fit together, to trace these things out from beginning to end the problem is they can't <laughs> we try to do that i mean that's the way we're we're wired that is that's is the way we are we are designed and created the problem is we're frustrated we try to do that but but we can't completely understand these these things and all of this actually ends up bringing about a, a frustration uh a, a restlessness, or we might call it a God-given burden. But rather than living in frustration and rather than fretting all the time, God wants us to accept our limitations. In other words, this is, these things are, this, this wall that we hit, this frustration that we have when we try to trace all those things out is, is God-given, and it's meant to, to drive us to trust Him, to recognize those limitations and to enjoy His gracious gifts rather than worship them. Right? So we have these gifts of God that we've talked about that God gives to us, but when we put our hope and trust in them, they, they, they let us down. Well, that's great. That's, what, that's the way it's supposed to be. What should that do in our lives? Well, it should drive us to stop trusting and idolizing the gifts, but to be thankful for them and to enjoy them, which leads us to the next principle that God gives us many gifts. Verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. We've, we've already touched on this back in chapter 2. God is the one who gives us the ability to rejoice and enjoy life. I mean, you, you see it all around us. People have the things, they have the gifts, but they do not have the enjoyment. They do not have the ability to enjoy what God has given unless God gives them the enjoyment in the things that he's given. God is also the one who gives us the ability, notice here, to do good in our lifetime. God gives us the ability to do that. It's amazing that we, we can actually do good. And again, we're talking about uh, moral things. We're not, we're not saying that God gives us the ability to, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and save ourselves. It's not that. He's just saying we have a, an ability to do good, to do good in our lifetime in the time that God has given us. Benjamin Franklin said of time that time is the stuff that life is made of. It's 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 like the weather in the sense that it's 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 there. We can't escape it. I mean there's always some kind of weather, right? It's it's it, we don't ever get away from the weather. Time is like that. It's just it's 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 just it's a part of our very existence. And we need to take advantage of the time that we have now. So Just an encouragement here, okay? Life is a gift. Time you have, it's precious. Um, We need to be doing good. This is the bottom line. We need to be enjoying the gifts of God, and we need to be busy about doing what is good. Because we don't know, right? I mean, this whole thing, the entire book of Ecclesiastes reminds us of the brevity of life. And God is the one who gives us an ability by his grace to do good. We need to be doing it and not... Failing in that, so help someone through a hard time, house sit, babysit, uh, step in and meet a need. Yeah. Uh, Paul tied, tied into that Galatians six ten then when he said we're to do good to all people. Yeah. And especially the household of God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, sometimes folks we're waiting back, we're waiting for the perfect situation, we're waiting for the perfect set of circumstances, we're waiting for Pastor Shane to get up and to say. I have a need for someone to do this particular thing, and and you're waiting for it to line up perfectly with what you think your gifts are, what you think your desires are, what you think. And I'm saying, no, meet the need. Meet the need. I mean, there's lots of needs. Step in and do that. Serve and minister. Share the gospel. Now is the time to do good. Verse 13, moreover that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all of his labor. It is the gift of God. God gives us an appetite to eat and to drink and the ability to enjoy our food. God gives us the, the ability at times to see good in all of our labor. There's actually times where we're laboring and God allows us to see the fruit in the culmination of our labors. You know, we don't, we don't deserve that. <laughs> we don't deserve to work and labor And to have this activity in our life and actually at times to be able to stop and think about the work we've done and to see the fruition and and see the product of what comes. That's a gift from God. The work is a gift and the ability to see the results of the work is a gift. God gives us perspective to see what we could never earn or will never deserve, eternal life, forgiveness, grace, a reason to persevere, all these things. Then Solomon reminds us that God's work is perfect and enduring. It is perfect and enduring. Verse 14, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it, for God has so worked that men should fear him. God's work, God's plan uh, remain intact. Uh, Men and women cannot, he says, add anything to God's plan They cannot take anything away from God's plan and acknowledging God's enduring and perfect work becomes grounds for reverence, worship, and meaning. Because he says what? For God has so worked that men should fear him. So, another principle, God should be feared. God should be feared. Uh, Kaiser, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, says this, mortals are frustrated by the puzzle of selecting any one of the many facets of God's good world as that part of life to which they will totally give themselves instead of beginning with giving themselves totally to God first of all. Life will remain an enigma and a frustration until men and women come to fear. That is to believe the God who made them and that the goods, the truths, and all that is of this world is from our God. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Um, in fact, let me basic. what does the word mean itself? Just take the word for fear. What is this term that Solomon uses here? What does, it, what does the term fear mean? Any guesses? <laughs> Robert, Robert. Okay, all right. What else? Any ideas? Okay. All right. Worship, fear, respect, reverence. Anything else? It, it does for an understanding of, you know, the, uh, fear of judgment, right? Wrath of what the power of God can actually. Uh, in front of person. Okay. So. Very good. Okay. So, let's not forget. It means to the most common usage, <laughs> to be afraid. <laughs> In fact, it's, I mean, it's all throughout. It, the same term is used all over the place in, in that respect. You know, Genesis fifteen one, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid, do not fear. You know, that's, so in, one, in, that, in that passage is don't be afraid, and yet Solomon is saying that we're supposed to be afraid. So what that tells us is that there, uh, you have to look at the context, you have to know that, you know, it's not just about a word, it's about how the word is used, but let's not, also just abandon the concept of being scared. Being, God's character doesn't change. So God is powerful and God is a God of wrath and all that. I mean, we should never forget that, right, even as believers. So why the, the question that Solomon's asking here is, is why has God made us who we are? Why does he do the things that he chooses to do in our lives? And it's so that we would put the fear of God first we would put the fear of god first in our lives a very very pervasive very important subject in in scripture the fear of the lord uh, let me just give you some some uh, passages here uh, you can jot these down uh, job 28:28 28, 28, uh, and to man the lord said behold the fear of the lord that is wisdom and to depart from evil is understanding psalm 31:19 this is i love this psalm this actually this this verse in particular was uh, a huge Blessing in my own personal life. Uh, several years ago, when I was going through a, a trial, uh, I still have. I found it last week, just going through some stuff on my. Well, you know, it's kind of like kind of like the kitchen drawer that has all the stuff in it. I have a little spot in my bedroom that has like a lot of stuff, <laughs> just just junk. But in there, I found it. I found the index card that probably six or seven years ago I wrote Psalm thirty-one, nineteen on. I still had that folded up, and it was all it looked all all worn. And stained psalm thirty-one, nineteen. how great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men just a side note when it says how great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you the word for stored up is is um, it, it has it, you, it has two two main meanings one means to, to store up um, or to treasure something, in, in other words, like to put something away, like in a safe. Okay, to sto- to to store it up, or to treasure it, to bank it, if you will. And and it's used that way in Song of Solomon. It's used that way in Hosea, but it can also mean to hide something or to conceal something. Um, it's used that way of the of the children Exodus two when they when they were hiding the children that were that were born, concealing them. Okay, and it's it's actually. It's more likely that idea of concealing, uh, because of the way that the psalmist uses it. This very same con- word in the next verse. But think about that. How great is your goodness, which you have concealed, right? Which you have concealed for those who fear you. Which what, is that, what does that mean? I just think what he's saying is that you know what God's God's goodness is always coming. <laughs> His goodness is always flowing into your life. But you know what? You don't always see it that way, do you? It's concealed. You don't always see and, and, and view the things that are going on in your life as goodness. But it is. It's always goodness. And if you did take the view that this has the idea of storing away, it's that, Psalm 119 uses this. And Psalm 119 it says, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you, I may not sin against you. It, it, what is it? Is it to bank? Is it put it away? Like we, we say that kind of like bank up a reserve of truth so that in the moment of temptation, you have those things. But it's also the idea of concealing. So if you, if you take this, if you take the other view, which is how great is your goodness, which you have banked up or you have stored away for those. of you think about that, there's so much goodness God is pouring into your life that he can't even pour it out all at one time. It's as if it's, it's, as if it's, it's backed up. There's, there's like there's a dam and there's goodness behind it. <laughs> and God is dispensing goodness to your life in a controlled way because if he just let it all go, it would just be overwhelming. Either way, it's a fantastic promise, right? But it's to those who do what? Who fear God. Psalm 103, verse 17, "...but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him." And His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember His precepts to do them. Psalm 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding. Have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Psalm 147, verse 11, The Lord favors those who fear Him, those who wait for His lovingkindness. Proverbs 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs fifteen thirty three: the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. And then this is actually a different term, concept, similar concept, but it's a different term for the word for fear than the ones we've just mentioned. But Psalm 28, verse 14 says this, How blessed is the man who fears, and it's actually a word that has more to do with the, uh, not just frightened, but actually a dread, uh, maybe a, t- almost a terror, terrorized it's a, little, it's a stronger term, how blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. so the writer is simply contrasting a biblical and a godly fear with a hard and unperceptive heart. so what does it mean to fear god well it's it's not it's not you can't just say well to be afraid of him right i mean that that would be true. I don't have a problem with saying that. It's just, you know, we have to, I think, just give more definition. We have to round that out. How about but, reverential, law? reverential law. I'm saying let's just put it all together. Let's just, all those verses I just mentioned. What, what is it? Let's just say it's lots of things, right? It is to know the Holy One, to know Him, to stand in awe of His majesty and holiness, wisdom, power, justice, and mercy. Or it just says to have an exalted view of God to esteem, to admire, to honor Him, to respect, to to worship and adore Him, to take refuge in God, to have a lowly heart, a, a humble and sensitive heart, to acknowledge that everything in life comes from God, that everything is for Him and that everything is sustained by Him. Uh, it means to depart from evil. I mean, that's a part of the fear of the Lord. I mean, to fear God is to, is to run from sin, <laughs> to depart from evil, to know the ways of God and to walk in the ways of God, to obey them. There's two two places we just mentioned where it talks about observing, keeping God's covenant, observing His commands, obeying. All All that's tied into the fear of the Lord. To be in a constant mode of desiring in all that we do not to offend Him, but to please Him. God is meant to be feared. So God's sovereignty, His timing... The circumstances that he creates, the cycle of work, the cycle of family life and seasons, the gifts of God, where should all of these things be driving us? It should be driving us to hit a wall of worship, to fear the Lord by drawing close to the Lord, waiting, as it says, for his loving kindness because everything outside of God is terrifying. (laughs) So it's this idea of acknowledging God's power and might and the fact that we should not, could not approach him, and yet the scriptures are calling us to take refuge in him. It equates fearing God with taking refuge and trusting him. So we acknowledge his attributes and his character and who he is and what he has the power to do. He does have the power to cast into hell, right? He has that power, and just because we're saved doesn't mean he doesn't now not have it. It's just in the fear of the Lord, we acknowledge all that to be true, but we draw near. We acknowledge all that to be true, but we seek refuge in Him because everything outside of Him is is dangerous, (laughs) right? It's terrible. One one last principle. God keeps these lessons before us. God keeps these lessons before us. Verse 15, that which which is has been already and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. Uh, I've read and I've read and I've looked and I've looked, and this is just... Everybody agrees this is difficult. This is a difficult verse to understand, to to interpret. Uh, The the last part, uh, I I think, could be translated as this, Uh, verse 15. God brings back what has already passed away. God brings back what has already passed away. In other words, God not only controls past events, He repeats them over and over again until we finally understand what he wants to teach us through them. Because these principles, we forget, (laughs) right? I mean, all these these principles in the seasons and events and activities of life, these are not always here in the forefront of our minds and hearts, right? So what does God do? God keeps repeating things that we would say, oh, I've been through that. I've experienced that. Well, why am I going through it now? Because God wants to keep these things constantly in front of us. Charles Swindoll explains it this way in his book. He says, we are the ones to pass it by. We are the ones who walk away. So God brings us back to the same lesson to learn it again. And he doesn't give up when we pass by it. He brings us back again and again to learn our lesson well. We get weary of learning the lesson and we run from it. We turn it off, yet he repeats the same lesson. He repeats it and repeats it and repeats it until finally the light comes on and we learn it. Why? Because God seeks what you and I try to escape. God pursues what you and I turn off. God makes a permanent lesson out of what you think is a temporary and a passing experience. So he says, we try to escape, but God keeps bombarding us with reality, with his created reality. So what God has appointed is unavoidable, what God has appointed uh, is just and right, Uh, it is good, it is beyond understanding, it is gracious, it is authoritative, it is awesome, it is unchangeable, so be thankful that you don't get what you deserve, Uh, don't despair, Uh, enjoy God's good gifts, submit to God with a soft heart, fear Him and trust Him, and remember, God has made everything beautiful and fitting in its time. Uh, Remember that the psalmist said, uh, David said, our times are in God's hands. Our times are in God's hands, and time is a precious commodity. Uh, Stephen Olford, referring to time, said this, It is a fragment of eternity given by God to man as a solemn stewardship. Time is a fragment of eternity given by God to man as a solemn stewardship. So as those who fear the Lord, we need to remember. We need, we need to remember to make the most of our time. Make the most of it, as Paul said in Ephesians 5, to redeem it, to buy it up, to buy up the opportunities that the Lord puts before us. A Presbyterian pastor, Thomas Boston, once told his congregation in Scotland this, quote, each generation has its own work assigned it by the sovereign Lord, and each person in the generation has his also. And now is our time. We could not be useful in the generation that went before us, for then we were not, nor can we be useful personally in that which shall come after us, for then we shall be off the stage. Now is our time. Let us not neglect usefulness in our generation. So may the Lord help us to be faithful and uh, to do good.